1: Right now in fast, Jamie Dimon and J.P. Morgan scoop up First Republic, acquiring nearly all of the failing bank's deposits and most of its assets. Does this end the banking crisis? And did Jamie once again come out the big winner? We'll debate that. Plus, a weighty move, a deep dive into a pharma name that showered investors with profit in April. Can it keep delivering record-breaking returns? We'll ask the top analysts. And later, with a host of names reporting tomorrow, we take a look at how the options market think Starbucks, Ford, Uber and AMD are going to trade once results cross the tape. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the Nasdaq Market Site on the desk tonight. Tim Seymour, Karen Finerman, Courtney Garcia, and Steve Grasa. We start off with the very latest developments on the debt ceiling. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen just minutes ago sending a letter to Congress saying debt limit measures may run out as early as June 1st. That is earlier than anybody expected. Kayla Tashi's got the details. Kayla.
2: Melissa Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said that June 1st is the date at which the U.S. could default on its debt and be unable to pay its bills unless Congress raises or suspends the debt limit. Now, the new X date, as it's called, is four days earlier than Secretary Yellen's prior estimate, and it comes after early assessments of this year's tax revenues. In a letter to congressional leaders, Yellen writes, given the current projections, it is imperative that Congress act as soon as possible to increase or suspend the debt limit in a way that provides longer-term certainty that the government will continue to make its payments. The White House today dug its heels in, demanding Congress raise the debt limit with no strings attached despite Republican support for budget cuts. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy and President Biden last met on the issue three months ago. It remains to be seen which side will blink first, Melissa. Most Wall Street shops estimate that the debt ceiling issue would come to a head in late July or early August. We know Treasury's estimates are always conservative, but this is the new deadline that Washington is going to be working toward. So this is
1: the new deadline, Caitlin. this also takes into account any extraordinary measures of Treasury could take. Is that correct?
2: Yes. Yes, Treasury has been taking extraordinary measures since January, when the country first brushed up and surpassed that $31-plus trillion debt limit. So it's already been using extraordinary measures for the last several months. It's been prioritizing uh, some of the government programs that it's been funding, some of the contributions it's been making to government employees' retirement accounts, uh, for instance. And there are going to be some other changes in the next few weeks, but Secretary Yellen is warning there really aren't many measures left. And in just the next few weeks, they'll, they'll run out of them completely.
1: Wow. Kayla, thanks. Kayla Tausche from Washington. This is like a month, a month more than what Wall Street had been expecting, Tim. I mean, this has got a to- I don't know, scare some people.
3: Yeah, people were thinking July through September. Yep. You know, this is not a big deal. Anyone who is, uh, you know, sitting in a chair on Wall Street, anywhere in the country in, in the summer of 2011, remembers what it was like when uh, everybody blinked. In fact, the U.S. lost their AAA in the downgrade. And it was really part of a global sovereign debt reassessment. But this this would be horrible. Um, we that, that, That's needless to say what's really interesting are the politics behind this and it's really not what we do on the show Uh, but clearly if you think about it you know gop kind of pushed uh the white house's hand in terms of agreeing to okay we'll give you we'll give you a year uh, increase but you've got to cap spending and you've got to cap a lot of those kind of flagship uh, and some biden's biggest pieces of legislation so um know, we're digging in here market's not pricing it in
0: it's so what divided government looks like there, there's no way to avert all this just pass the Republican plan for a year. See what happens.
1: Right? That's it. Well, that's 60% the it of
0: the people in this that's country, thing. 60% of the people in this country think that the government spends too much money. So this is not a minority that we're talking about. And they're cutting the cutting the budget by 9% for a year. on 34 trillion dollars in budget. I'm pretty
1: sure they could handle it. Well, Let's say we live in a world in which Steve Grosso is right. And that everybody does. <laughs> well, wait, what wait, wait. We live in a democracy, though. We live in a democracy. And the Democrats and, and, had undivided they, government. Now they don't. The problem is that that's just not, that's probably not going to happen. And that's just the fact of the matter. And as the, rational as you may sound and you may think you sound, it's probably not going to happen. So that's the world we live in. Right. And so what are the markets going to do? I think
4: realistically, this this is going to come down to the wire. It always does. It's a political football, especially in a year like now where we're going to have elections. This is this is something that they're going to use. Um, I don't think markets are necessarily going to trade on this until we get pretty darn close to this. So I think this is going to be a conversation at the end of this month. This is not over by any means. Um, but yes, it's, I don't think it's Vix, is. Vix, VIX was VIX was at be.
3: 15.50 at the load today. So in terms of complacency on where markets yeah. are, we haven't been here since. Yeah, way back into two thousand and twenty-one, before the Fed even embarked upon their plan.
1: Yeah, Karen.
5: Well, it, it is kind of ridiculous. We all know it's going to get to this at the end. Why not just do it now, right? <laughs> I mean, it is. It, it's not like. I mean, the the balance of power is going to change really in the next m- month. But unless they come out with even more ways to delay and that'll work for a week or two, I I really don't get the whole thing. But one other piece of data that uh, my friend Andy Constant sent me from Dam Springs was the deficit is rising more rapidly than we thought. Right. Lower tax revenue and higher Mm -hmm. interest rates. And so the amount of additional bonds that will need to be issued to pay for the deficit, well over a trillion dollars now. So the bond market should be pretty spooked. And that came out later today. The bond market was already down this morning, I think, on some of that uh, economic data that I thought was pretty good. But I wonder, though, in a default scenario—I don't remember what happened in '11, actually—but was there a flight to quality?
1: So even though bonds yeah, I, would yes. go down, right? Would There's you a still flight move. to
5: quality. I don't know. Right. I don't remember. If somebody knows at me uh, mm-hmm. because I could see that happening. Turmoil in the bond market. As perverse as it may seem. Yes. Right. But we're in Steve's world, so maybe that would happen. I don't know. <laughs> well, Steve,
0: well, Steve's world, you got to do something, right? We're all in agreement. you got to do something. Yes. And, you, and you nailed it, right? The balance of power is not going to change. Mm-hmm. So maybe the president and McCarthy could possibly meet.
5: Exactly. Maybe they should
0: meet. Yes. The last time I met was early February. So yes. nothing's changing. I know. Sit down at the table. So if it's not right. 9% in cuts, maybe it's 4%. I, but it's got to be yes. something, and we got to yes. agree on right. it. And this well, is what democracy is I don't know,
5: is. McCarthy. Can you do Wednesday? Yeah. Where, nope. Got, I'm busy. I can you I'm do busy. June? Let's do it the first yeah. week. Oh, I have, have the default. Have it's you, you ever had an
1: assignment? It's a fine. paper that you had yes. to write, and right. you wait yes. until the last minute. Of course, right. Right. all the time, nothing's going to change. <laughs> right. right? You can start started five days before. It's not like right. you will know anything more in five days. Right. right. But you still wait till the night before, and it won't even. And, and that's, time time what the market, that's what the markets.
0: That's what the markets do. They wait, as Courtney said, till the night before to see what the real reaction is going to be. And every time we get to this point, I say the same thing. This really feels like the time we're going to default. This really feels like the time we're going to default. And then somehow it works out. To
1: Karen's point, though, what, what do you think happens in this world with well,
3: the bond Well, I'm going? ready to answer Karen's question because yeah. I went to work here when right. she asked the question. I'm, so, I'm embarrassed. Mm-hmm. I didn't know it, didn't but I guess nobody else knew it minute either. Minute so we, it right we, now, we, went from, we went from 3% on the 10-year down to 150. And and if you think about, there were a lot of things going on. And again, to me, what was more significant about that time was was Mario Draghi stepped forward in the European Union and actually made a semblance out of chaos in the pigs. So again, Southern Europe, and they were about to they were the ones that were about to have the sovereign debt default. We were, you know, doing our thing over here as we're doing, and as we're all saying, we will continue to do right up to the last minute. But it is a flight to quality on its own level. And you know, at some point, if you own Bitcoin and if you own gold and if you own other diversified assets that are uh, where people expect the world to go at some point uh-huh. but until the u.s is is not the economy in the world and again this the, the most significant economy if China's number two and we're talking about China and the world we live in um, China's not even close in terms of a bond market and so, and the confidence there
1: using that as a blueprint then we have sort of an interesting push-pull situation where the Fed is trying to raise rates and getting rates to go higher and yet you're saying that the bond market will actually work against the Fed and rates will go lower as a result of this I mean, I, I, history I, is a guide
3: I, I think that That's right. Karen also, though, brings up, I think before we get there, Mm -hmm. or, you know, flight to quality is what it is, but there are technical factors that have yields going higher. There's no question in terms of issuance. And if you talk to a lot of guys that are really looking at the issuance calendar, this is one of these things that at some point, and the same people that are in favor of Bitcoin and gold, are saying the U.S. is not going to be able to to finance their way out of this the way they used to. They're going to be able to do it, but they're not going to be able to do it with with the costs being as low as they were.
1: All right, let's move on now to JP Morgan, scooping up First Republic CEO Jamie. Diamond winning control of the failed bank through an FDIC auction this weekend. JP Morgan shares up more than 2% on the day, but gains didn't help the broader banking sector. The KRE banking ETF dropping more than 2%, closing less than 2% from its lows of the year. That's a KBE, excuse me. Regional banks are faring even worse, down almost 3%, less than a buck from its lows. So is Jamie Diamond once again emerging as the big winner from the most recent banking Crisis, Karen, you seem to think so. I do. I think this is really an extraordinary deal. I mean,
5: there are so many things to like about it, right? There's so much protection from the FDIC. They get to write down the loans to 87%. They get a loss-sharing agreement for uh, five years on on residential mortgage, seven years, I think, on commercial mortgages. Um, I mean, there's... There's so much to like here. I think they were really kind of sandbagging the how good the deal was because they don't want it to seem too good that it is accretive to book, it is accretive to earnings, um, and then obviously the wealth management business is it's a prize. It's probably a little bit dented from where it was six mm-hmm. weeks ago, but that could fold very nicely into J.P. Morgan uh, Asset Management. And he looks like a good corporate citizen and sort of oh, for sure. solves He's a the hero. crisis. He is the hero. Once again. Right. Once, Once again. again he is it's He's always I don't yeah. say anything good about Jamie Dimon, yes, but he always says, it wasn't just me. Every other bank yes. was on that call. They all were all in to make deposits. We all did it together. They just called me first, but everybody was working on it. <laughs> but but every,
0: everything, has biggest, his, right. everything has his fingerprints all over it. And, and that, I, I like that last line. They called him first. They go, and, 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 and they're going to call him first when all the regulatory framework changes as well. And not that he's going to advantage J.P. Morgan more so than other banks, but he's definitely not going to disadvantage J.P. Morgan over other banks either. That's why this is the the one trade that I'm holding on to. It benefited him. His stock has outperformed everything in the group.
5: Yeah. One other thing I just wanted to add, because there is this backstop from the FDIC, plus they give him $50 billion of cheap loans. We didn't get to that. The risk weighted asset, the the weighting for these loans is less than it would normally be so they can lever up and make more money on it. It's it's a fantastic deal.
3: I thought something. Very interesting was, you know, PNC was in their bidding as well, and yet their stock was treated today as if they were a bank that should be bid for. I mean, if you look at actually some of the banks that were actually uh, at, the, at least considered to be on that group PNC, Citizens Financial, Fifth, Third, um, it wasn't a great day for almost anybody in the banking space other than the money center banks with right. strength. The regional sold off some more, and if anything, as Jamie Dimon said, this should solve this situation for now, is kind of what he said, at least the phases of it. I don't think he was. Auguring or foreboding something that much more ominous but i do think um the point was this should put a nail in the coffin on runs on banks um and 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 yet again one of the banks that was in their bidding and claimed to have a competitive bid they were down six percent today
0: well, one, one last thing and i know you want to go to courtney the thing that will continue the run of the bank is if the fed continues to raise rates and people continue to usher money out into money markets That's the one thing that's the problem. It's not so much what's going on with running in to rescue these banks. It's the fact that the Fed is actually creating the run on the banks.
1: Mm -hmm. Court?
4: Yeah, and that's that's what we're going to see this week is, is the Fed raising rates by another 25 basis points or not, because this was happening even before Silicon Valley Bank. People were taking money out. We were getting calls from clients every day asking us to buy treasuries and money markets. They're taking money out. And the banks are going to have to raise interest rates in order to um, to keep their money there, because this was a problem that's not going away. And it gets worse every time the Fed raises interest rates. Uh, But when it comes to J.P. Morgan, I agree. I actually think this is really beneficial for them. I think the biggest thing, which Karen mentioned, is this really gets them in the door with the wealth management business where they are really trying to get in the Mm -hmm. foot for. But they just can't compete with your Merrill Lynch's and your Morgan Stanley's. And suddenly they can compete now because they just gained all of these high net worth assets. um, And that clientele so First Republic says, they were still keeping. So I think that'll be interesting to see with that moving
3: forward. I agree. And it was, it was was it's that that wealthy clientele is very important. It was the Bear Stearns prime brokers back in 2008, 2009. I mean, you know, J.P. Morgan is a massive prime broker. They're much different than they were back then. But even with just the Bear Stearns assets, that was, look, Bear Stearns as a PB back then and as a custodian was one of their core businesses. So um, Jamie Dimon doesn't need to go out there and say, well, this is, you know, we, we're trying to grow our wealth management business. He can just go in there and say, I've got the capital. FDIC went to us because we have the lowest impact on the cost to them on this, this solution. But it is, as Courtney, as she said, I mean, look, the wealth management business is such great business for J.P. Morgan. It's the one business, if you look at their, their ivory tower, and it is ivory, has um, is, is got some places to compete and to get better against the biggest ones in the country.
1: Well, Morgan Stanley has had an advantage Right. right. In, in many years because of its wealth management business, which right. it had built up over time. But
5: also it's the it's the stock price advantage in that to the extent that it's an, that part of the business right. as opposed to the lumpier investment banking mm-hmm. or even lending part of the business. But one thing I also want to add, to the extent that there's the notion that uh, is this the end of the crisis, the FDIC has kind of said we're going to insure uninsured deposits. They haven't really Form.
1: There isn't no uh, a new regulation right. saying that. Are there but proposals but, saying you know business business accounts should be able to step up to higher uh, uh, right. insurance brackets to have more of their deposits insured. So there are a lot of things going around out there. But you got to hope there's not another bank failure.
5: Right. I, I mean, if I mean you could rest a little easier as a as a depositor in excess of two hundred fifty thousand sure. dollars now,
1: knowing that likely the FDIC will be there. Well, there's been an an implicit backstop this whole time during the financial, during this banking crisis. During the first two. Yeah.
5: But now this is, here we are six Mm -hmm. weeks later, another one that was,
1: and there they are. Well, they have to, I mean, Mm -hmm. there is no other. I agree. There's no other step that J.P. Morgan will take to save another bank. Who else is going to go in and this is a one-off so this is not a solution in a systemic sort of way In sort of a this is the blueprint for how we solve crises the going JP forward morgan goes then after jamie right? diamond <laughs> then picks up the assets <laughs> with the help of the fdic yeah. well, and, and, i mean this is just for, not a sustainable model yeah. when, when jamie
3: diamond put together a consortium of banks to 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 give 30 billion or right. lend 30 billion to to ultimately back them up i mean it goes to show that jp morgan was in on this jp morgan wanted this solution um I j- J.P. Morgan, the stock. I just want to say, you know, for all the uh, the pain and suffering in the banking sector, if you look at J.P. Morgan against the S&P over the last 12 months, it's outperformed the S&P by 17 percent. Now, I'm choosing a calendar year. I'm just using 12 months back. You can find different places in the last two years where it's really underperformed. But uh, we've been in an environment where it's been Fed heavy. And actually, the worst of J.P. Morgan's underperformance in the year before that was really as the Fed, as, as the rate hike cycle began in earnest and was aggressive. And since then, even with higher rates, J.P. Morgan has been outperforming. And, you know, we, we know what goes on with net interest income. It's getting better, even if the margins are going down.
1: Yeah. All right. For more on the banking crisis and how it's factoring into the Fed's decision this week, let's bring in Jim Bianco, Bianco Research. Jim, great to have you with us. Um. So we've got the banking crisis going on. Uh, we've also got this new X state, which has been moved up significantly to the beginning of June. How do you think this this factors into the Fed's decision, if if at all?
6: Um, I don't think it does. Uh, I think that the Fed is focused on inflation and they're going to raise rates and they're going to leave the door open to raising rates again in June. Now, I happen to think that's a mistake at this point, but it doesn't matter what I think. That's the way that they've been viewing it. I remind everybody that on February 14th, there was a meeting. This came out with the report on Friday uh, to the board of governors of the Fed. Jay Paul was there. They were told that the banks were getting unrealized losses and that they were in trouble. And they pointed out a specific bank that was in trouble, Silicon Valley Bank. Three weeks later, he went to Congress and said, we're going to raise rates aggressively. 24 hours later, they failed. So he's not going to have anything with the banks change his opinion. It's all about inflation. He sees inflation as a problem. He's going to raise rates this week and leave the door open for more rate hikes.
1: You don't think that the x date gives the Fed a little bit of co- – I mean, to the extent that uh, monetary policy should help fiscal policy and vice versa, I mean, that's sort of gone hand-in-hand hand for many years, that that sort of gives them cover at this point, along with the banking crisis, to say, you know what, we're going to have it – there's going to be a dovish hike, so to speak. So a raise, but then we'll see.
6: Right. Well, the, well, I don't think that the X-State is going to really matter. Y- yes, it is a big surprise that it is early June. A lot of people thought it would be on late July or something like that. So that is a surprise. Jay Powell has made it very clear, and I've agreed with him, that the Fed's position about the debt ceiling is to do nothing, is to do nothing. This is a 100% political act, and this for it needs to be solved by Congress without any mitigation by anybody else in terms of trying to fix this. This is Congress's issue. This is not the Fed's issue. This is not anybody else's issue. So... I don't think that that's going to change. And he's also talked about fiscal dominance in the past. That's fancy talk for we're not going to let the possibility of a default or big deficits change what we think is the right monetary policy.
0: Jim, when you look at the two scenarios, either the Fed continues to raise rates and continues to break something, or they don't, inflation continues higher. Those two scenarios, won't inflation high prices, won't high prices save themselves from other future high prices? Take me down just really quickly, if he does nothing, what's, what's the difference?
6: Well, I think the way that he looks at it is that 57% of the public, and this is a recent survey by Bankrate, lives paycheck to paycheck. They couldn't come up with $1,000 in savings. So he looks at a 5 or 6% inflation rate and says, these people lose. I have to do something about inflation. If a bunch of rich people in stocks have to suffer because I'm raising rates too much, then a bunch of rich people in stocks have to suffer because I'm raising too much. He's not going to say to the 57% that live paycheck to paycheck, sorry, you're just going to have to deal with having prices rise faster than your paycheck. Because I can't let the stock market go to 3500 or whatever bearish scenario you want. He doesn't look at it that way. That's why he's focused on inflation. And that's the dilemma. If he focuses a lot on inflation, then financial markets could struggle. If he appeases financial markets, he lets inflation go. And he's viewing it from that 57% versus stockholders. That's, he's made that clear in a lot of his uh, press conferences and a lot of his speeches.
1: Last quick question, Jim. Let's say we hit the debt ceiling or we're about to hit the debt ceiling. What happens to bonds?
6: What usually happens around June 1st is all the Treasury bills that mature on that date, people will avoid them and there'll be a big hump in the yield curve. Because if you don't get paid on those bonds, your money market fund has to value at zero, even if it's for one or two days and it could break the buck. So no one wants to be in a position to break the buck. So you're going to see wild gyrations in the Treasury bill market. And it's probably more of a headache for money market mutual fund managers than anything else. I don't think it creates a bid for the 10-year or creates a sell-off for the 10-year or anything like that.
1: All right, Jim, thank you. Jim Bianco, Bianco Research. Well, I mean, if the Fed says, you know— you know what? It's a political problem. We're going to leave Congress. I mean, I don't know if anybody has much faith in Congress to actually solve this thing, but that, that really leaves the markets in a sort of a lurch because you're not well, going to get any help. Well, we
3: want our central bank to be independent. Sure, Let's be clear. Of course. You know, it's not independent in Turkey. So they got a different situation going on. Um, the Fed that's really got a dual man- mandate of core inflation against unemployment, if you look at kind of two different axes, you, you've got a dynamic where I, I I just think that they have to still continue to lean on inflation. We, we forget that today we had an ISM number, manufacturing, we know we're a service economy, we know manufacturing is kind of what it is. But it's, it was only, you know, take out two inflation, sorry, COVID lows. And this was the lowest ISM we've had since going all the way back to the financial crisis. I mean, uh, the numbers right now, the leading indicators tell you the economy is, is not in a good place. And the labor market figures we've gotten, even in terms of jobless claims uh, and, and, and whatnot, have been showing a weakening labor market. So um, the economy's weakening. We know that. And I, I just think that that's uh, we haven't really seen it in the stock market.
1: Coming up, we're watching MGM in the after hour session. Shares on the move after reporting results. We got the details from the quarter next. Plus, get your passports ready. We're going international. How markets in Europe and Asia are faring against stocks here at home. The countries to watch straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. Fast money's back in two. What does
4: it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number, and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash find your rich. Edward Jones, member SIPC.
7: What's on the horizon for financial markets?
1: Welcome back to Fast Money. Earnings alert on MGM shares adding to the day's winnings after turning, on, uh, turning in a beat on the top and the bottom lines. The stock had closed at more than 52 week highs in the regular session. Contessa Brewer has the latest from the conference call. Contessa.
7: Yeah, MGM's Macau earnings, Melissa, may be enough to entice investors to double down here. Revenues nearly 50% higher than the estimates. It's all important earnings metric adjusted property EBITDA, more than double the estimates on the call ceo bill hornbuckle said it's one of the best quarters ever he pointed to a big jump in market share in macau since the pandemic from 9.4 percent to 15.4 percent and said he expects to keep that share because mgm china has been awarded a third more tables in the concession process and right now only about half are in use domestic operations the vegas strip came in with a record first quarter result for mgm Increased profit margin, driven higher by revenue per available room. And the average daily rate is at 31% over last year. And they said on the call that the bookings are up every month through November. Regional casinos, steady. MGM expanding its international footprint. Its European subsidiary, Leo Vegas, announced today it's acquiring game developer Push Gaming, and then, of course, the focus on developing that new casino resort in Osaka, Japan. It's clear that this is a company that is intending to use its free cash flow and reinvest it, uh, Melissa, to make its international footprint even greater than it already is. All right,
1: Contessa. Thanks, Contessa Brewer. Uh, cas- casinos overall had a pretty good day. Tim up one percent, and then MGM was up two and a half.
3: So. MGM is, I think, the most diversified, uh, you know, casino play in there. In that they their their Macau business is now a lot more than a rounding error. They have a digital footprint. Certainly, an online sports betting that's become meaningful in an industry that started to actually get price rationalization and the. Competitive forces are are calming down a little bit. Las Vegas Strip's been very important. Uh, The numbers out of Macau, though, if you look at gross gaming revenue that came out last night, up 449% year-over-year. Now, I realize China was largely closed, but up 15% sequentially from March. So, if you think about what's going on, um, anybody that's got core exposure over there, and this is, to me, Las Vegas Sands, how I've been playing it for a long time, and I bought some Melco today, because Melco Crown um, is that core play. And so, we've gotten the license issues around the, the renewals we've got uh, VIP we've gotten all the things that I think build into that story and I think there's more to come
1: Karen
5: yeah so I am in MGM and you know when I got into it I liked it for it's not being so heavily uh, weighted in China and um, getting into the online, and that Las Vegas would come back. And uh, however, with what's happening in China now, that's that's a. It's not an albatross. It's great. They have some exposure there, and that it's do, really doing well. But if you really want to be turbocharged, I think you got to be Vegas. Where, where
3: Tim is Vegas yeah. Sands. Yeah, sorry, yeah. LBS as yeah. in Las Vegas Sands. Yeah. Which
0: I mean, yes. the the only thing negative about this. So obviously, uh, Las Vegas Sands and Wind have an outsized uh, dependency and leverage towards Macau. M- um, MGM is leveraged here, and they're building that leverage. They're also dipping into online more and more because it's tougher. You, it's tougher to build out the footprint of what's already there. It's tougher to get these licenses. So they're everywhere where the growth is. The problem is if we go into a recession, how much does that hurt where they're weighted the most, which is Vegas? So that's the, only, the chart looks excellent. For the last year, chart looks excellent. The 50-day broke above the other, uh, other longer-term moving averages. Everything on a technical basis looks great. I'm almost thinking it looks too good. It's sitting right on the 50. Maybe you wait a little bit to see how the recession pans out for new money.
1: We got some
2: breaking news. We're going to get to D.C. and Kayla Towshey with the details. Kayla. Melissa, President Biden has spoken with all four congressional leaders from both parties and set a meeting for May 9th to discuss the debt limit. That is a week from tomorrow. Now, this comes as House Speaker Kevin McCarthy is traveling in Jerusalem as the House is out of session this week. But it also gives the White House and Democrats a little bit of time to come up with their plan to counter what Republicans passed last week. That bill raised the debt limit into 2024, but also uh, introduced some the board spending cuts and reversed many of Biden's signature policies. Democrats so far up until this point have argued that there should be nothing attached to the debt limit. It should be raised with no strings attached and that the budget process should proceed separately. We will see if they can cobble together a counter offer in the coming days or if they'll continue digging in their heels. Melissa.
1: Kayla, thank you. Kayla Tausche. By the way, uh, President Biden is set to host a reception uh, within the hour. This is a picture, a live picture of the East Room. We'll be monitoring uh, the event in case he does make some comments on these new developments regarding the debt ceiling. The X state being moved up by Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen to the beginning of June, as opposed to what many on Wall Street had expected, which was sometime in July or even August. Um, So we will monitor this as this happens, Bring you any developments as they do. Uh, It's getting real, Courtney. I mean, May 9th, that's next week, but then three weeks later (laughs) is the X
2: date.
4: Yeah, and and people were expecting we had another month or two, Mm -hmm. realistically. Um, I would be shocked if actually anything happens May 9th. That would be wonderful, but I I think realistically it's just going to be another headline. This is going to get pushed until the end of the month at least, Um, so I I think it's going to be a continuing story. All right, there's a
1: lot more Fast Money to come. We'll be right back Welcome back to Fast Money. Japanese markets in rally mode today. The Nikkei crossing 29,000 to hit an eight-month high, while the broader topics index surged by a percent, touching its highest levels since September 2021. This is a yen fell to a nearly two-month low. European markets were closed for the May Day holiday today, but those stocks also went to tear in 2023. French and German indices posting gains of more than 14% each, and the euro stocks 50 up almost 11% since January, all outpacing the S&P 500's 8.5% gain since the start of the year, of course, um, new leader at the top of the BOJ, Tim.
3: Yeah, it, it's 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 a combination of currency dynamics mm-hmm. and what's going on internationally. And I think asset allocation. And, and you know, someone that spent most of his career on the international side of things, uh, I think some of this is very sustainable, not just you know some of a trend. In fact, you've seen the underperformance of the the Euro stocks 50 against the S and P. So their are Dow 50, basically the biggest and and the most bulletproof companies in Europe. Finally, after a decade uh, of underperformance to the S&P in the summer of last year and even in October, as the dollar was topping out, started to outperform. So um, I think companies that are paying an incre- you know, a, a growing de- uh, cash yield and dividend yield in the international arena, and I work to full disclosure, I work on an ETF that does just that. You know, I, where else would you want to be to have some part of your money as the world is looking for value and also cash flow?
4: And I think a lot of people don't realize how well Europe has actually been doing. Specifically, France is your best developed market year to date. It's about 19 percent. A lot of that is just benefiting from they have a lot of luxury goods, and China reopening is really benefiting from that. When you look at Europe and Japan, I think they're a, they're a great buy right now. When you look at it, earnings relative basis, it's about 30 percent cheaper than the U.S. right now, especially as we have this 15-year uptrend on the dollar, which, to your point, it looks like it's starting to reverse. That's only going to be a positive for Europe as you move forward. So I think you definitely want to continue to look there. All right,
1: coming up, earnings season in full swing and options traders are getting in on the action how they're playing the results ahead plus some hefty gains for one pharma stock that name hitting another all-time high today it's up 18% in just the past month we'll tell you what it is when Fast Money returns Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks losing steam into the close. The Dow down nearly 50 points. The S&P virtually unchanged. And the Nasdaq falling a tenth of a percent. And some more earnings movers. Chegg tumbling hard despite an earnings beat. The EdTech company issuing a disappointing outlook. Shares down more than 30%. NXP Semi, on the other hand, beating expectations up 4%. Car rental company Avis posting a massive earnings beat. But shares right now are flat. Meantime, check out Eli Lilly breaking out to a fresh all-time high today. The drug manufacturer is up 18 percent in the last month, thanks in part to the success of its obesity drug Monjaro. Joining us now for more on the stock's big run and what it could drive, what could drive the results even further, as well as Fargo Securities biotech analyst Moit Bonsell. He has got a buy rating and a $440 price target on Lilly. Just upgraded the stock a month ago or so. Moit, um, great to have you with us. Can you help us understand what part of the valuation your model is Monjaro, and what part of it is uh, Alzheimer's and the promise of Alzheimer's.
9: Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, so my model uh, mostly is driven by Munjaro and Alzheimer's is a small part of the business in my model. Uh, I would say it's probably contributing 10 to 15 percent, not more than that. It's pretty much driven by Munjaro at this point.
1: So basically later on this year, when when Eli is expected to give a readout of the Alzheimer's results, if that's positive, that could just be upside to the stock that's not factored in at this point.
9: Right, I would agree with that. I think uh, at least 10% upside uh, when when Eli Lilly shows Alzheimer's data in first half of the year, so probably in for a couple of months at this point.
1: Can you help us understand how Monjaro stacks up right now in your view with Wagovi and some of the others out there in terms of you know what is what is driving it right now? Is it has it been production issues um, with some of the other drugs that are now cleared up, and so how is that sort of playing out? I'm just trying to understand. What exactly has driven the uptake and what will continue driving the uptake uh, going forward?
9: So uh, I would say it is pretty much demand driven right now. The demand is such for these products and it's it's for right reasons because uh, because uh, Munjaro, if you look at the weight loss profile, if you look at the, the diabetes or glu- uh, glycemic control profile of the drug, it is much better than what we have seen previously. Uh, uh, with, with any of the drugs. So uh, just, to, just to give numbers here, Munjaro among uh, obese patients, it showed as high as 22% weight loss. And among diabetes and obese patients showed, uh, la- last week it showed about 16% weight loss. That's that's unheard of. That's not, that's not something that other drugs do. And that's why, uh, that's why it is the demand is such that uh, even uh, Munjaro is running into supply issues other uh, other agent Vigovi has improved its supply and so did so did munjaro as well because uh, this quarter call people were worried about going into the quarter call and worried about that whether supply would uh, whether they could they can meet the numbers or beat or the numbers and they actually did beat it which which basically tells you that delete supply is improving at this point
5: Hi, it's Karen thanks so much for being on when they get to full production and um, that that's no longer sort of an obstacle. What do you think the coverage will be? How big of a hurdle is that? What what are you expecting from insurers, the government, regarding covering either Monjaro's, um, Trezapatide, in whatever form?
9: Right. So for now, it would be a while before they get to a position where supply is not an issue, because by the end of the year they are still looking at doubling the supply. Uh, so it, Probably that that demand would demand would probably be more than that. But eventually, I think the biggest obstacle is uh, Medicare, especially for obesity, because half of the obesity obesity patients are Medicare, and Medicare doesn't cover cover it. I think that hurdle would be removed once uh, Novo has a trial which is looking at whether uh, ve- reducing this weight uh, among among obese patients results into cardiovascular benefit. That trial is also reading out sometime in the middle of the year, and that. If, if that turns out to be positive, that is going to be one of the important trials which actually removes that obstacle uh, because then these are not just weight loss drugs, these are the drugs which reduce your weight and actually help you live longer or maybe have a better, better cardiovascular benefit longer term.
1: Have you Moe, or or when do you start thinking about, you know, people take these drugs? They're not obese, they may not develop uh, diabetes, it may you, you know, reduce the severity of the diabetes and therefore reduce all these other side effects down the road and what the impact is on, on other drugs and other sales of other drugs that can treat some of those things that will now be prevented.
9: I think I mean that would be a dream scenario. I think we are still ways uh, away from from that that particular scenario playing out. Uh, but eventually, I mean, like if you give it to pre-diabetic patient, probably diabetes can be pushed out. Uh, if I mean obesity is uh, s- supposed to be cause of many other diseases down the line, including cancers. So so that would be a that would be a scenario that could play out. But I think we are probably maybe ten years or more than that away from that.
1: Ten years. Okay. Thank you. Mohit, okay, great to speak with you, Mohit Bansal. Thank you for
3: having
1: me. All right, so where do we stand on Lily here at all-time highs? Uh,
3: I'll tell you, it, it's it's hard to turn away from a stock that's that's made so much money. We, we've been along our clients and it's, you know, but at 44 times current year, it's really tough here. And, and again, so much has been priced in to Manjaro and the addressable market. We don't really know where it is. Um, I, I guess I just, you know, I look at the dynamic here on valuation relative to a peer group and not everybody has the pipeline at all. It's all about the growth here um, and where you're more excited. But um, I think I'd be starting to fade this. Courtney.
4: Yeah, and I do like the pharmaceuticals in general. I think this is something that was a little underappreciated earlier this and people are starting to come back in. I do think it's valued a little higher than I'd like to see it. I would almost like something like a Merck, which is, is a lot less expensive. They still have a lot in their pipeline moving forward. But the pharmaceuticals as a whole, I think, is definitely something where, where somewhere you want to be.
0: The problem is when you look at uh, Eli Lilly's chart, Tim, Tim alluded to this, it's been on fire since February 2022, and it based basically at 237, took off when they uh, approved their COVID treatment. Then it based at 310, and now it's still off to the races. So when do you bet against it? Yes multiples are 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 looking a bit expensive right now but i say go xbi this stock's going up four times since the last five years
3: though i mean like why own bitcoin when you can own lily i mean it's been it's been staggering and it
0: seems like it's best in breed it seems like they're treating it as best best in breed but the other thing that hasn't moved is xbi so it's the etf for small uh, small cap biotech if all of these other pharmaceutical names the behemoths are going to have to start buying pipelines then some of these are going to have to start getting taken out. Just look at Prometheus, How, what happened to that stock. That's going to happen again with smaller companies. Some of you, that is a
1: big risk, though, if all these big, I mean, I guess if you're buying the, the targets and you're going to buy a broad index, you yeah, may or may not the get the boost yep. from, from being a specific yep. target. But here, Karen, I mean, you yep. said it. Alzheimer's is just, that's an option here. I mean, that if, if it's positive later on this year when they have the phase three readout, then great. But right now, it's it's really nothing. In I don't think what it should
5: be. I think that's a reasonable mm-hmm. sort of uh, conservative. Really, driving this story though is right. Yeah. Is uh, Majaro. So, I mean, I, I sold it early, uh, bought it well, but sold it too early. I, I don't know. I'm sort of wondering is given those numbers that 22% is better than um, uh, Ozempic and Wegovy. So maybe I don't know. Long, Lily, short, Novo Nordisk, which is really it's it's their only not their only. It's It's the bulk of their
1: business by a lot. Coming up, another big week of earnings and the options pits are pointing to some big action ahead of the results and names to watch next. And throughout May, CNBC is celebrating Asian-American Pacific Islander heritage. Here's a president and CEO of Ancestry.
7: I grew up in a small town in South Carolina, one of the very few Asians in the state, and I grew up going to football games and eating hot dogs and going to state fairs, and I love that. And yet at at home, I learned a different language, we ate different foods, and marrying those things together, being able to share that with others, that's such an important part of what it means to be an Asian American. And I'm so proud of that. But that's also why I'm part of Ancestry when I joined this company to help people discover, craft and connect around their family history because we all bring the experiences that we have, our cultures, our history, and make this country as rich as it is because we can bring it all together.
1: Do not miss Uber CEO Dara Shahi on Squawk Box tomorrow, 7.30 a.m. to discuss the company's Q1 results. That's right here on CNBC. Well, Uber is just one of the many earnings headliners tomorrow. The ride-hailing company joining Starbucks, Ford, and AMD on the slate. The options market is betting on some big moves when these names report. Mike Coe's got the action. Mike.
0: Yeah, we are indeed seeing some uh, big implied moves for all of these. Uh, AMD is going to be reporting, looking at a 7.5% move in that one, Ford, 5.5%, Starbucks, 5%, and Uber, 8.5%. I'm looking at Starbucks. This one traded more than 1.5 times its average daily put volume and almost two times its average daily call volume. And the busiest call contract were the June 115 calls. We did see some two-way flow, but I saw an institutional buyer paying 520 for 500 about 15 minutes before the close. Overall, we saw just shy of 20,000 of those trading.
1: Uh, Tim, you are a shareholder, you are an angry customer, complaining of pricing, but that's exactly why you own it. It is.
3: <laughs> and and I, I'm not sure they're going to be able to hold these prices and certainly hold these margins because they've been extraordinary, especially in North America. We talk about maybe the risk of some of, the, some of their China growth. I look at the chart and, and the RSI on Starbucks, a nine day RSI, and we talk about relative strength indicators only because they give you some sense of just how overbought a company is. But for the last month, this company has been north of 80 uh, on an RSI and it's trading at 88. It's never been this high uh, valuation. It's tough for me, even though I'm I'm still long just a little bit.
1: I'm paying seven dollars for a black. More coat. than <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> Mike, thanks. Mike Co. for more options action. Tune into the full show. That's Friday, 5 30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up. GM driving higher. The stock getting a boost as one analyst revs up his rating. So could shares be about to turn a corner? We'll trade that with fast money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money Time for our call of the day. GM shares hitting the gas as Morgan Stanley's mm. auto analyst, Adam Ooh. Jonas, upgraded the sights Very clever. Rate, upgraded <laughs> the stock to an overweight from an under equal weight. Excuse me. Raised his price target to 38 bucks, over 13 percent higher than today's close. Jonas said the market has sufficiently discounted the challenges to making money in EVs separately. GM announced hundreds of layoffs today, primarily from its engineering hub in Detroit as the latest cost-cutting measure. You guys were all psyched to uh, talk about this one on the call. Karen, Why?
5: Well, some love maybe for GM. It's, it's the <laughs> Rodney Dangerfield of the huh. auto space for sure. Um, you know, I, I, I love Adam Jonas as an analyst. Uh, this is a, kind of a big turnaround for him, I believe. Last year, he had the ice, the internal combustion engine business, at zero, mm-hmm. I think. And so that it's a melting ice cube, as Tim uh, pointed oh, out. Very That's clever, right? very Adam. Very clever. I'm you not mean, surprised. It's We've happening been- a lot more slowly. The margins are the margins are Tesla-like in that business Um, but you know clearly all eyes are now on the ev even though they got this enormous successful huge you know profitable business i still like it here but i've liked it for a long time
3: We're big jonas fans i i think he's pointing out that mary barra can run this company as efficiently as any that they will be paying attention to what they spend on ev And, and i would argue that when ev multiples were even a little bit uh priced into a ford and obviously in tesla um gm didn't participate that on the way up and they they're participating on the way down and it's, it's, it's crazy. So his point on the melting ice, internal combustion engine, is that they're going to generate tens of billions in profits and in ca- free cash flow in the next decade from that business.
1: Fifteen seconds, would you rather Tesla or GM?
0: Uh, Tesla, no brainer. Tesla, after getting bombarded with sell side, is still up 32 percent a year to date. GM is flat. And GM and, and Ford are both going to have to be pushed into cutting prices the way that Tesla did.
1: Up next, Final trade. Trey, Tim,
3: Mel. No, Disney owns a sports network, right? It What's does. that called? ESPN. Wow. Big Game Seven. Let's go Rangers tonight. Go Disney.
5: Karen, I gotta go with J.P. Morgan. Very nice deal. Of course.
4: Courtney. Of course. Uh, Starbucks. I think actually had earnings. I think we'll, we'll continue to see some pricing pressure here.
0: Steve. UNH. The stock is prone to have big ups, big downs. As of late, I'm a shareholder. It's had tremendous downs. I'm looking at the chart now. It looks like it sort of stemmed the losses expecting higher prices going forward you and all
1: right thank you for watching fast money we'll see you back here tomorrow at five for more fast meantime do not go anywhere mad money with jim kramer starts right now
8: warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. From their innovative practice facility